Okay, you, if you got a question about the kids, uh, Erica, just kind of wander in here before the end of it, okay? And Sister Erica can answer any questions about children's ministry. Everybody good? All right, all right. Let's go to the Word of the Lord. You ready for the Word of the Lord? All right. If you uh, need a handout, there is a handout available. Not everybody, I realize, again, I always put this caveat in there, not everybody learns that way. For some folks, that's distracting, but it is available. Brother Darren's got extra copies. I tried to pass. A lot of you already have them. If you don't have it, raise your hand real quick. Brother Darren will find you, and he will bring you copies. All right? And this is just a, a word fill in to kind of help us uh, just walk through the lesson. All right. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. In a way, this is a little bit of an extension of uh, Sunday's message. Remember, we talked about running the race and racers, they, uh, people, uh, athletes, people in the race, they worry about form. Uh, they, they worry about how to run the race, running the race right. They, they worry about, uh, you know, correction. They worry about, they want to run the race with fight and all those things. I, I want to I focus on that first, that first uh, uh, point that we talked about on Sunday where we talk about running the race right, talking about form, okay? Um, and uh, just to kind of give you a context, let, let's read here first. I need some coffee. Hold on. All right. Verse 5, chapter 13, says this. It says, examine <clears throat> yourselves, okay? If you underline your Bible, I want you to underline that. If you can highlight in your app, I want you to highlight it. Examine yourselves. Already we're given an edict, a command of something we need to do. We need to examine ourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified? And so tonight, as you can see at the top of your page, I want to teach a little bit about the rhythm of reflection. A rhythm of reflection. Now, let me define what I mean by that first and foremost. And uh, I've got to fill in there. So to me, when you write it, you remember it. So what I mean by the, the, the phrase rhythm of reflection is a recurring process of taking inventory of your spiritual health and progress, okay? Let me say that again. A recurring process of taking inventory of your personal spiritual health and progress. We're gonna teach tonight about establishing a rhythm of you doing that. Now, in general, and you know, I went to look for statistics and I couldn't find that I really even liked, but I still think this is true. So I will, I will pose this as opinion, okay? It is of my opinion and my experience, personal experience for sure, that in general, most health problems are worsened or even created. I got a nurse over here. Do you, you know, keep me honest here are worsened or even created by two things, lack of self-control and neglect. Now, I realize there's disease, there are diseases. Let me put this down because I really want it like every five minutes. And, um, and I got to teach. So somebody, my wife distracted me with coffee. Okay, so a lot of spirit, a lot of health problems end up because 
There is a lack of self-control, especially in, in Americans, lack of self-control. And, and the other thing that contributes to a lot of health problems, I'm talking about physically now, is just neglect. People put off their signs or things. Look at it this way, and I'm not, please don't look around. I'll, I'll just talk about me. My doctor says I need to lose 10 pounds. Quite frankly, I know how to lose 10 pounds. I know how to do it. Um, he tells me, Brad, if you'll walk for 30 minutes a day, at least five days a week, and if you will stop eating sugar and uh, limit your carb intake to such and such and such and such, he said it should be pretty easy for you to drop that weight, and then a bunch of other things also will come into line. So it's not that I don't know what to do. It's that, Sister Rose, I don't want to. Okay? I don't want to. So because of... Oh boy, I'm telling on myself, lack of self-control. Because of neglect, there are certain things that that weight can do in my body. Now, I'm not here to tell you all about, about my, my personal health. I'm just saying, giving you an example. Think of me, now think of you. What kind of things are wrong in your body because you've even neglected? Or you just lack self-control. And the reason why I want you to think about that is that as it is with our physical health, so is it with our spiritual health. That it has been my observation, being at the, you know, just in, in my job and dealing with people, is that a lot of spiritual problems in people's lives are not because Satan is so strong and, and not because uh, God is not capable and, and not because people are so mean, but a lot of spiritual problems in our lives, I'm talking collectively here, happen because, number one, we lack self-control, and number two, we often neglect the things that we know to do. It's not that we don't know. It's not that somebody hasn't told us. You know, apply it here. It's not that we haven't heard the message that we needed. It's not that we didn't get the Bible study that told us and gave us this information. Very few problems, spiritual problems in our life are like that happened and I just don't know how it happened. If we're honest with ourselves, we can trace it back and we can see exactly why it happened. And, and the question is this, how, have you, have you ever, okay, have you ever been this person? I was gonna say, have you ever seen anybody? I'm afraid you might look at somebody at your table. But, but ask yourself this question, have you ever, have you ever been in a place where you feel like you were really spiritually successful? I mean, you weren't perfect. Not say you're perfect, but things were good. Anybody willing to be honest and say, yeah, I've had at least a couple days. Me and Neil, that's it. All right, Brother Bruce, he's with us. Anybody else? Come on, it's okay. It's not a trick question where it's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Not doing major problems or anything. Now, how many of you, Brother Bruce, get ready to raise your hand. Help me out here, all right? How many of you on the other side of that scale have woke up one day and realized there's some things that are wrong? Thank you, Brother Neil, okay? All right, so that's maybe a little bit easier. Both, how does that happen? How does it happen where things can be going so well, doing so good, but then if you're like me in these instances, it's like you just wake up and like, what happened? What happened? What happened? What, what, how did I get here? How, how did I end up with this frame of mind? How did I end up in these circumstances? How did I end up making that decision? Because things were so well. 
The answer is this. It's a lack of recurring spiritual reflection. It's a lack of people taking a time, making a commitment, developing a habit, however you want to say it, establishing a rhythm of reflection in their life. So let me tell you, if you are going to be spiritually healthy, you are going to have to learn, I'm going to have to learn, to have some sort of rhythm. Now, how many of you have rhythm? How many of you can clap on beat? Anybody? Who can clap on beat? How many of the honest souls that say, not me, I can't do it, I can't do it, all right? Brad said, I can, I can't, all right? But you do understand what rhythm is. You've heard it before, right? And some of your favorite music, if that music wasn't in rhythm, you would say something is wrong. You probably wouldn't buy it. You probably wouldn't listen to it. We all understand what rhythm is. Rhythm, no matter what the pace is, it is persistent and it is consistent. It can be 100 beats per minute or 300 beats per minute, but it's consistent and it keeps on going. That's what a rhythm is. And that's what we're talking about tonight, about something no matter what the pace, no matter what the pace is, it is persistent. And it is a persistent reflection of one's spiritual health. Everybody say reflection. How many believe it's good to reflect on who you are and where you're at? Amen, amen, it is. But here's the problem. You wanna know when we tend to reflect? Two times. And maybe, maybe there's some others, but I, I picked two. Two times where I've seen people where they finally, where they're, I'll put it this way, where, where we are forced into reflection, okay? Or feel forced into reflection. Number one, when we're in trouble. When we're in trouble, when our decisions and our behaviors and our action and our marriage and our whatever, okay, has gotten so bad that we are in crisis mode. And then and only then do we decide, okay, how did I get here? What did I do? What have I been doing? What have I not been doing? The other time that I see a lot of times that people slip into reflection finally is when they're discontent. When, 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 when circumstances and situations around them have agitated them to such that now they're gonna reflect on their spiritual condition. The problem with that is, by those times, many times, the damage has been done. The attitude, the, the hurt, the, the whatever, the damage has been done. If we are to stay healthy, spiritually healthy, both of these scenarios are way too late to start the habit of looking into our lives. Now, when we look for examples of this in Scripture, Paul helps us out. You know, he, he, he points to a personal process. And this is where I say this kind of ties in. I'm sorry. This kind of ties in to Sunday's message because I use this, this scripture in, in some, talking about the form and making sure our form and running this race and, and living this life for Christ is, is correct and right and how we are to work on that. Again, being persistent. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, Paul says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest, listen, this is very important. He said, here's why I do this. Lest but that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself will become a castaway. The Amplified Version says it like this. I, I discipline and I subdue myself. I go through a process of figuring out where I'm at and I take corrective action for fear 
that after I have done well, that after I've had a good run, that I would wake up one day and find myself, and Amplified uses these words, unfit, not able to stand the test, unapproved, and rejected as a counterfeit. Paul said, I don't want to wake up like that. I don't want to get up one day and realize I'm unfit for the call of God that he's asked me to do. I, I am unprepared for the purpose of God in my life. I am even unqualified for what God wants me to do. And Paul said, and if Apostle Paul, that's superhero of the New Testament, right? If Apostle Paul says, I have a recurring process that happens in my life because there's a fear, there's a nagging fear in the back of my head that if I don't have a rhythm of reflection that I could end up unable to do what I'm succeeding at doing for God right now. Lest when I fail to do this, when I fail to have a reflective, corrective process of comparing my thoughts and my actions to what I know brings me spiritual success. We talk about that on Sunday. The end result is in those cases, I place myself in danger of being unfit, unable, even unapproved to follow God's plan. So for Paul, this was a recurring process and it was a planned process, okay? Paul said, I'm not gonna wait till the trouble comes to start reflecting. We find it actually in another verse. For Paul, it was strategic, and it was, write this down, it was daily. Some of you just got scared. That sounds like a lot of work. It is. For Paul, reflecting on his spiritual health and on his ability and on his station and his commitment, his relationship with God, however you want to frame all that. Paul said, I do it daily. Every single day. Now, Paul, in, in, in Corinthians, Paul was dealing with a church, and we've talked about this before. Paul would go and he would set up a church, and then, you know, these wise guys would come in after him and say, ah, it's not really like Paul said, and they would, they would you know, give their own doctrine. Some of them were Judaizers and tried to tell the Gentiles that they need to follow the, the exact Jewish law of what it required to be God's chosen people and the Jews. Others would come in and they would, you know, blend in some, some philosophies so that they could, you know, there's all kinds of issues that Paul dealt with. And one of the issues he dealt with was a career is there was a contingency of people in that church that said, you know what? We really don't believe in the resurrection. And Paul just lays into him. He said, let me tell you something. If there is no resurrection, then let's all eat, drink, and be merry and forget about this mess because everything that we're doing is about this resurrection. Paul says in one place, he says, and it's kind of a play on words, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says these two words, you probably recognize them. I die daily. Paul said, I die daily. It's a play on words. Literally, Paul's in prison. He's facing a future of martyrism. And so literally, he's saying every day I face death. I don't know when it's coming for me. But it's a play on words because he also said, the translation said he dies daily, but he dies not only uh, um, physically, but he dies to himself. 
that when Paul said that, he wasn't literally just referring to a physical death, but that there is a, there is a spiritual death that's happening in him in every day. There is a self-death that's happening in him. He said every day. And, and his point is this. If there's no resurrection, why am I going through all this? Why am I going through this discipline? Why am I worrying about the gospel? Why am I worrying about my spiritual health if there's no resurrection? But in that, Paul lays out his strategy, his person. Everybody with me? His person. We just got a glimpse into how Paul exists as a Christian. He says, because every single day, I'm dying. I'm reflecting. And I'm taking the things that work, and I'm doing those. And I'm taking the things that don't, and I'm getting rid of of those. Paul's rhythm of reflection was daily. Peter wasn't far behind. He, he said it in a different way, but really the same thing. He said, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end of, of the grace with, that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, prepare your minds. He said, there's, a, there's work to do here. You gotta prepare. You gotta plan your minds for action and exercise and, self, and exercise self control. It is very important to reflect on the spiritual worth of what we're taking in, of what we're allowing to exist in us, whether it's thoughts, actions, deeds, and what's being produced from all that. So we, there's, a, there's a daily reflection that has to happen of what, what am I ingesting spiritually and otherwise? And then what am I allowing, what am I fostering within me? What attitudes, what spirits, what actions, what, what, what behaviors am I allowing to live inside of me? And what results are coming out of me? Everybody say reflect. Spiritually healthy people reflect on their condition and they do it on a daily basis. Reflection is to develop a habit of taking inventory of where we're at spiritually. Let me say, just add a caveat. I'm not talking about how you feel. Amen? Some of the elders are shaking their head because there's been some days where their commitment and their faith was great, but their feelings were not. And slowly but surely, people that have been around a while and have, and have adopted at some sort of rate this, this attitude and idea of reflecting on their spiritual life, they've realized this does not have to do with how I feel. This does not have to do with the perception that others have of me either. This has to do with how I really am. And that's an inside thing. And so Paul says, examine yourselves. Paul would never, I don't think the word of God would ever, Brother Bruce, you correct me on this few things. You're a Bible teacher. God would never ask you to do something you didn't have the ability to do, would he? He would never say thou shalt and you couldn't, right? And so God through his word speaks to Apostle Paul and he says, you, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Every day, are you in the faith? Are, am I spiritually healthy? Now, when I started going down this road, I started asking myself, okay, then what is spiritually healthy? I mean, it's just kind of this blob out there, like, okay, yeah, I need to reflect and be spiritually healthy. But what is spiritually healthy? Now, some of, I guess that could be a little bit matter of opinion, but I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm the pastor, so I'm gonna give you what I think, okay? 
And let me just tell you, this is not just based on, hey, I need a couple good points. I sat and listed, what do I see in people who I think, discern, and feel are spiritually happy? Or not, sorry, healthy. And healthy will make you happy, amen? Hallelujah, that was just the Lord putting a word in there for you. All right, so, and, and this may not be everything, but this is a lot of it. Here we go. What is spiritually healthy? Spiritually healthy is growing in and living God's word. Okay? So daily we're reflecting. Am I growing? And am I living in God's word? We must reflect with respect to the word. We must become soakers of the word of God. In other words, we need to develop the habit of meditating and soaking in God's word. Spiritually healthy people get into the word of God. Now, I, if this is elementary for you, just, you know, hold on. Something will hit you later. But for the rest of you that aren't reading your Bible, for the rest of you that aren't studying the word of God, but you can't figure out why all hell is breaking loose in your life, might I encourage you to get the word of God into your mind, into your heart. Joshua 1 and 8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That was Joshua's command. Thou shalt meditate it therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So we're meditating, we're soaking on the word of God. For what purpose? Just so we can like maybe be a good Bible quizzer? No, so that we could do it. We're, we're, we're learning it so we can do it and we can apply it in our lives. For then, and here's, and who doesn't want this? For then, thou shalt make thy way, watch what you do, your actions in soaking the word of God, thou, you, will make your way prosperous. And you, thou, shall have good success. It sounds like a great promise from the word of God, doesn't it? Psalms 1 and 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be, here's the promise, he shall be like a tree by, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Yes. So spiritually healthy people soak in the word of God because it brings, it prospers them, and it brings them good success. Can anybody here testify in this place today and say amen to that? The word of God will bring you success. And if you're questioning what you ought to do about something, the word of God is a great resource because it's written in there for you to do. Amen. Right of Psalm 119 is probably Ezra 12 times. He uses the word meditate, soak, okay? Oh, how I love thy law is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. What does it mean? Very simply, meditation on the word of God means to focus your thinking about a Bible verse for the purpose or in order to discover how you can apply its truth to your life. Okay, so we're talking about meditating on the word of God. We're not just talking about in some trance state, okay, where we're like, okay, I read it, now let's see what happens. No, we, we take the word of God and we think about it. We focus on it. 
Just like you would be in a study in a classroom somewhere and you ask yourself, how do I live this out? It was written for me to do. All right? And so we focus on the word of God. So spiritually healthy people, spiritually healthy means growing and living God's word. Spiritual health also means praying and fasting for God's will. Spiritually healthy people have a regular regimen of prayer and fasting. Okay? Somebody say amen. amen. Luke 18 and 1. Jesus spake a parable to them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. He tells them a story about a woman who goes to an unjust judge again and again and again. She's ignored over and over and over and over, but she keeps on going. And then he strikes a comparison, and he said, if an unjust ruler in this story, and he finally answers her and gives her what she wants, he said, now if an unjust ruler will do that, how much more won't your father hear you when you come again and again? Jesus asks from us for prayer that won't fail. In other words, prayer that won't stop. Spiritually healthy people pray consistently and constantly. That's why Peter, I'm sorry, Paul would write in, in Thessalonians, pray, three simple words, pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. Jesus, and, and the prayer is to pray God's will. Spiritually healthy people, they pray for God's will, not just for their wants. Now, now he delights in giving us the desires of our heart. I understand that. But you also understand that when Jesus was asked to pray, he didn't give them a prayer wheel. He didn't give them the tabernacle plan. He said, you pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He placed his will on top of every prayer that any of us would ever pray. And so spiritually healthy people, yes, we put our petitions before the Lord. Yes, we put our desires before the Lord. We bring our needs before the Lord. But there's a caveat to all of it. God, above all things, I want your will. Jesus put that in on every prayer. So when you pray, you pray God's will no matter what. Spiritually healthy people do this. Now, fasting is the Bible, the biblical definition is the affliction of the flesh, okay? That sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? The affliction of the flesh. Now, I wanna be very careful with this because I know there's a lot of people who does a lot of things and I, anything you do to come closer to God, I'm for it. But there's a lot of things that people are calling fasting today that just weren't fasting when I was growing up. Okay, I'm just, that's all I'm gonna say there, all right? Except for this, the rule of thumb for flashy, flashing, not flashing. I can't get through one, not one. First of all, let me clarify. Flashing is not spiritually healthy. For you, <laughs> for you or the person. Sure, flashing. Okay. We're going to... Uh, Edit that out, all right? Okay, the rule of thumb for fasting is this. This is actually a really good point. I hate that I ruined it with that. If your flesh can't feel it, I doubt it's fasting. 
okay? So if you are so addicted to social media, so addicted that you literally feel pains and anxiety when you say, I'm gonna turn off my Facebook for a month, then I would say that is an adequate fast. But there's a bunch of stuff that we ought to just be doing because we ought to be doing it, not because it's really an affliction of our flesh. So the only thing I'll tell you is if you're going to fast, and we're going to have a church fast. I'm going to explain that Saturday. We're going to have a church fast. And the only thing I want to tell you is fasting means afflicting the flesh. And if your flesh can't feel it, it may not be a fast. But here's what I'll also tell you about fasting, that when it is coupled with prayer, it becomes a one-two punch that hell cannot sustain and cannot take. Jesus said that prayer and fasting could give it authority to cast out demons. Prayer and acts was known to spring preachers out of jail. Amen? Prayer has been demonstrated in Scripture and known to heal bodies of diseases that medical science could not heal them of. Prayer has been known to bring the Holy Ghost down and shake prison cells. All I'm saying is this, prayer and fasting are pretty powerful. And they are the engine behind the supernatural vision that God has for our lives. I love this quote. I heard it one time. It's not original, but every time I talk about prayer, I say it because I just think it's true. When you pray, coincidences happen. When you don't, they don't. You might be amazed what happens when you pray. Spiritually healthy people, they got a time of prayer. They have a place of prayer. And when they have problems, they have already either prayed about it or that's the first thing on their mind. Hallelujah. So the question for all of us, well, uh, James 5 and 6, 16 says, the effectual, I talk about this Sunday, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the passionate, planned, strategic prayer does a lot of work. So the question is, have you prayed and fasted? You say, well, I, I pray, I pray. And listen, I'll, I'll just tell you, I believe short of prayers that are birthed out of ill motives. Because James said, you have not because you ask not, and you don't have it because you ask amiss. So he shows us there that ill motives thwart our prayers. I don't think those prayers go any higher than the sound waves that they came out of your mouth at. You know, that's, a, that's as high as they go. But, but any other prayer, I don't care if it's whispered, oh, Lord, help me through this day. Oh, Lord, I mean, I think every prayer still exists. Every prayer that you prayed, I think it went up to heaven as an incense before God, and every prayer that you prayed still exists. So I'm not trying to say that your prayer is not, you know, worth anything. But here's the question I think we ought to ask ourselves every single day. Have I prayed passionately and consistently? Have I prayed significantly and strategically? Because that's the prayer that gets the work done. Significantly. Well, what is significant? You be the judge. You, you, you answer that question. You know. Chances are you know what were prayers that were whispered in a moment or prayers that were whispered out of obligation or out of duty or out of habit. And you also know when you get in the presence of God and as the elders used to say, you ring the prayer bells of heaven. Okay? So spiritually healthy people, they pray and they fast. Spiritual, spiritual health means giving to God's kingdom. Oh, were you gonna go there? Yeah, oh, absolutely, I'm gonna go there. Because I've seen a lot of damage done spiritually to people because they never, ever relinquish control of the kingdom of their finances. It is a stronghold. It can be a stronghold. I'll say it that way. 
in people's lives. A place that is unrelinquished. Everything else, but yeah, no, I'm just going to kind of ignore that. Let me just say this. And I don't have a lot to say, a ton to say here, but let me just tell you, if you're in financial trouble, start giving. That's all there is to it. That is all there is to it. And, and, and I know you're sitting there saying, but you don't know that I'm already in trouble. That's right. You know how you got there? You got there because you didn't honor God with your finances and you've received the curse of disobedience instead of the blessing of giving. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Prove me now. God says, test me. Try me out. See if I'm not right. Come on, I just dare you. God is double dog daring you right now. See if I will not pour you out a blessing that there should not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. What's the devourer? All those stupid little things that keep showing up and taking out the last three cents that you got. God said, I'll rebuke those devourers that are sucking the life out of your finances. Rebuke the devourers for your sake. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither is the vine cast or fruit for the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. None of you have vines or fields or fruits, but you do have finances and you do have business in your homes. And God says, everything that's trying to take away from that, I will stand in the place. You don't, you can't, you can't afford to live without that blessing. And spiritually healthy people understand this. And tell me this, somebody, tell me this. Is it not, is it not a relief to your spirit not to have to worry about money? And God promises you, you won't have to if you learn to give. And here's how he says to give, but this I say, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, he that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God takes pleasure in. He prizes above all other things. He's unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful giver. So the question we ask ourselves here, am I giving consistently? Am I giving correctly? And am I giving cheerfully? And let me just say, this is a smart elk remark, so I'm just prefacing it, all right? But both me, or God and myself, both of us can do math. Amen. Shall we go on? So spiritual, spiritually healthy people give to God's kingdom. Spiritual health is connect. What is spiritually being spiritually healthy? It is People that are spiritually healthy connect with God's people. They connect with God's people. Now, I want to dispel a myth. There is a myth that is like raging in the church that says, it is the church's job to connect with me. And that is true for a brand new person that doesn't know the Lord. Amen? What else do they have except the church reaching out to them and pulling them in? But honey, when you come in, I don't see that model. I don't see that model where it's the church's job to connect me and to get me in here and to get me just acclimated with everybody and to bring me friends and well, you know, whatever. Connection is our job. Connecting with one another is our individual responsibility. And let me prove it to you scripturally. Acts 2 and 44, 
We, let's just go back to the new, how did the first church do it, right? How did that happen? Because they were pretty connected. The Bible says they were pretty connected, right? And all that believed. Is that a fill in? If it is, fill it in. All that believed. Not Peter, not John, not James, or any of the other apostles. Pentecost had just happened. 3,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 3,000 people were added to the church. And the Bible said all of them that believed were, what's the next word? You might know. Together. And had all things common. They were together. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, everybody say they. They did it. The body did it. The body connected to one another. They didn't wait for somebody to say, oh, I don't know. What about no? They found somebody. I realize that can be hard for introverts, okay? And we'll help you. But for the most part, here's the thing. If I'm gonna be connected to the body of Christ, it's my job to do it. And here's what else I'm gonna tell you. You can't disconnect me. I don't care if you like me or not. You can't disconnect me. I love you. I've decided that I need to be connected to this. Why? Because I realize the spiritual strength that comes from brothers and sisters being connected together. This is, we talked about this before. This is a different relationship than your friendships out in the world, than your friends, your people that you work with. We have something more than friendship. We have fellowship. There is a spiritual connection in the body of Christ that you need to remain spiritually healthy. So when we reach out, and then Galatians, Paul writes and says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's telling us you're supposed to be looking for places to bear, burdens to bear among you, helping one another. Now here's what I've figured out. Uh, you're gonna hate me, I'm sorry. And I'm going off camera so you just couldn't see this. Here's the thing, all right? A real embrace is not this. And I knew she would do that, all right? A real embrace, now help me here, all right? A real embrace is, help me, please. That's an embrace, okay? That's an embrace. We do it all the time, don't worry. She just doesn't want to do it in front of people. That's an embrace. An embrace is reciprocal, right? So here's what I've found out that when I truly reach out to embrace my brothers and sisters, when it really happens, I mean, sometimes maybe you can put up the wall and say, huh, but, and I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. When you go for that exchange and you go to embrace one another in whether it's help or whether it's, it's uh, uh, encouragement or whether it's just fellowship, that mutual embrace, it's gotta happen from both ways. Right? So here's what I'm telling you. For all of you that are saying, I just can't connect. Go embrace somebody. Because when embrace really happens, it comes back. It comes back. When we reach out to embrace, it demands an embrace in return in order to be received. The Bible tells us this, that we are members of one another. We belong to one another. So the question for us here is what the reflection here is what am I doing to connect with the people of God. What am I doing? What effort am I making to connect with the people of God? Because spiritually healthy people, pastor said it, spiritually healthy people connect 
with God's people and they connect with the church. Spiritual health means doing God's work. Spiritual health means doing God's work. When we are busy with the service of the kingdom, there is little time for disunity, division, and distraction. Let me say it again. When we are busy with the service of the kingdom, there is little time, no time, for disunity, division, and distraction. And this can happen. I know you think this is a perfect place, but this can happen. Absolutely. It can happen in any church. It happened in the first church. They got real busy doing the work of God. And would you believe they started fighting about doing God's work? Who's ever heard of that? You ever heard of that? People getting disgruntled and upset about how we were doing God's work. People, well, amen. Has that happened? Somebody say amen. Besides my mother, somebody say amen. She's obviously had some problems recently, so she... Acts 6 and 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So we had people at the food bank that were not getting the service that they should be getting. Somebody got more groceries than somebody else. <laughs> this is funny. Then the 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them, the apostles, the leaders, and they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God, teaching the word of God, and go do this service. We've got people to do this. But here's what I, is always important to me. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business. And so in the early church, they figured out we got to get people busy and we got to get them busy with God's work and they've got to do it in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So it didn't matter how menial it was. From what I can tell here, they were passing out food in some form or other, right? But whatever they were doing, they said it needs to be done in the Holy Ghost. It needs to be done with wisdom and you need to have people with character that will do it. Because spiritually healthy people don't sit, they find a place to serve. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, For because of him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, with each part is working properly, grows to full maturity, building itself up in the love. In other words, until everybody starts serving where they're supposed to be serving, we're lacking in our ability to grow at the pace that we need to and be mature as a church. Paul said, the maturity of a church demands that people serve in their place. So the question for us to reflect on, spiritually healthy people ask themselves this on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Where am I working? What am I doing? What's my contribution? It's my passion. What's my per am I and, and I've heard heard it this way and preached it this way. Am I a sponge? Am I just here soaking it up? You know, this praise team, they're giving it, man. Oh, praise and worship is what I'm just soaking it up, soaking up the service. Oh, I just love that sermon, soaking up the word of God. Love that teaching, love that class, soaking it up. Okay. God bless you. We're doing all that for a reason. We want you to soak it up. But at the end of the day, after you've soaked, where have you served? 
What have you done? Where am I working in serving the kingdom of God? Because spiritually healthy people do God's work. Spiritually, spiritual health means worshiping God's name. You know, I don't, I'll, I'll just briefly state this because it's true, right? But I don't think we have a huge problem with this. I love our church. I love our worship service. Anybody else love our worship service? I mean, it can always be better, but I thank God for the presence of the Lord. But just in case some of you are saying, you know what, I'm just not a worshiper. Oh, you are not healthy. Psalms 35 and 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Psalms 11, 111 and 1, praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalms 33 and 1, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. So the question of reflection here is this, am I a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? Is there any evidence? Is there any proof that you are a worshiper of the Lord? Now, you don't have to jump up and down like the, the mosh pit up front, all right? I'm not trying to say that. I, I'm just, that's just a joke. That's a joke. I don't discourage anybody. But, but you do have to worship. You do have to respond. The, the presence of God demands your response. And quite frankly, you need what the presence of God brings to you when you worship the Lord. Spiritually healthy people praise God. Okay, You don't have to coax them. You don't have to ask them. You don't have to beg them. When they hear the sound of the name of Jesus being worshiped, there is something in them that says, let me join in with that. Also, even on a daily basis without a choir or a church, amen? So spiritual health is also sharing God's message. Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples, told us to make them. You know you can make them, but you can. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And that name is? I don't ever want to be unclear about that. His name is Jesus. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You teach them. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The best way to make a disciple is to make a friend. Let me say that again. It's awful quiet. The best way to make a disciple is to make a friend. And then tell them what Jesus has done. And it usually works best in that order. It's usually most effective in that order. Now that's not to say anything. We've got people that come in that are hungry. They want a Bible study. We may, we've got folks that we assign to them and make sure that they have a Bible study. They teach them cold. They don't know them. But I promise you, every good Bible study becomes a relationship. Brother Bruce, am I a liar? Every good Bible study becomes a relationship. If you don't have at least three of them with them, it's not even a Bible study, right, Brother Bruce, right? So, so all I'm saying is this. You make a friend, if you can make, how many of you can make friends? How many of you? How many of you? There's some questions, I realize, but how many of you can make, I'm serious, raise your hand. If you think you possess the ability to make a friend, all right? Well, guess what? You also possess the ability to make a disciple. And it's not as hard as you think. It's making a friend and telling them what Jesus did, what Jesus has done. My favorite 
example of this is John 4. Remember the lady at the well, the woman at the well, and Jesus talks to her. He reads her mail and says, you've been married 17 million times and you're still living in sin and go get your, you know, all this stuff. And she's like, wow, you must be a prophet. Yeah, I am. And he finally says, I'm the Christ. What does she do with that? The Bible says that the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to me, she goes and tells him, and you've got to understand how culturally, how culturally wrong this was for her to be any sort of mouthpiece to the male persuasion at all, right? Add on to the fact that it's possible, I don't know about probable, but it's possible that since she'd been married so many times, there was at least a few in that city that kind of knew her reputation. But such was the experience with Jesus. And so powerful was the experience with Jesus that she was compelled to walk into her city and say, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And the Bible says that, that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, on Jesus, for the saying of the woman. The only thing that I could think, Brother Neal, is this, that she was so messed up that when Jesus got done with her and they saw what he did, they said, look, if he can do something for her, there is something to this thing and I want to know about it. I wonder how many testimonies, whoa, I feel the Holy Ghost. How many testimonies are in this house right now? You don't even know how powerful that your testimony is. That somebody that knows how much of a mess that you were and knows all of your shortcoming, but when they see Jesus in you, it would compel them to say, let me listen to what they've got to say. Let me go to that service with you. Let me at least pay attention because if he can do it for you, then he must be something worth investigating. Amen? And then John 40, 41, many more believed because of his own word. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him, they would tear with them and, and he abode there for two days. And after two days, a bunch more believed him because of his own word. If you get him to Jesus, Jesus does the work. Amen? Let me say it again. If you'll get him to Jesus, Jesus will do the work. You don't have to convert him. I've heard people, we need to convert people. I've never converted one person. Ever. Okay? But I've seen Jesus convert many people through the testimony of myself and other people around me. So the question is, real simple, reflective. You ready to reflect? Have I told anyone what Jesus has done for me? Today, and let's ask even, have I told anyone, period? Because spiritually healthy people, they share God's message. It's part of who they are. So let's summarize. Paul said we've got we've to examine ourselves. We've got to put a process in place. We have to have a rhythm of reflection that happens, a persistent, recurring process that looks at these areas of our lives. And maybe, as we were teaching tonight, maybe there's some other areas that you say, oh, I need to look at this too. Write it down, write it down. So if I'm summarizing, add on to it. But we've got to reflect. Spiritual health is growing and living God's word. It's praying and fasting for God's will. It's giving to God's kingdom. It's connecting with God's people. It's doing God's work. It's worshiping God's name. It's sharing God's message. 
I'll go over it again, but the reason why I go through that in rapid form is because I don't think people that do this ever grace the atmosphere of my office with problems. And it's not that they don't have them. It's just that they're spiritually healthy, spiritually healthy. Most people that I have to deal with, they're on the other side of this equation. They haven't been reflecting. They haven't, they've neglected. There's no self-discipline. And the next thing you know, you wake up and say, how did I get here? I've seen success. I know what spiritual success is. I, I, I was making progress. How did I get here? Well, there's no rhythm of reflection. I think I can summarize it. I think Isaiah summarizes it. And this is a little loose summary, and we'll end with this tonight. In Isaiah 26 and 3, he said, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Now, I've always said, okay, he's going to keep me in peace. And I, I got to studying that one day and I realized that it's more than just him keeping us in peace. That, that scripture literally translate, he will guard him and keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed, who continually reflects, who continually looks after and pursues God. He will guard him and keep him in peace. I don't know about you, but I, knew I could use some protection. I could use some spiritual protection and reflecting back on my spiritual status and reflecting on, my, on who I really am in Christ right now, today, can keep me and keep you, keep us out of a ton of trouble. Amen. And remain healthy to do his will. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Believe, Lord Jesus, you've given us your word tonight. I pray, Lord, for every heart, God, that they would walk out of here not just with knowledge, Lord Jesus, but there'd be some habits that would begin even tonight. And Lord, would happen every single day for the rest of some of these lives. God, that every day there would be just a rhythm that is established. There'd be a, a, perpetual, a perpetual inventory, God, taking place every single day. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, for the spiritual health of everybody in this building. I pray, Lord Jesus, for growth in your word. I pray, Lord, that worship would arise and all the things that we have talked about tonight, Father. I pray in your name, Jesus, God, that you would go with this word, Jesus, and let it explode in the heart of every person that hears it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being in Bible study tonight. Don't forget, don't forget, Sunday, what time are you going to be here? Where are you going? Connection class, right? If you're 37 and below to 18, where are you going to go? Right here. Thank you, Kelly. Just play along with me. Nobody else will. If you're over 37, Kelly, where are you going to go? You're going to be right here, all right? For everybody that's older than Kelly, you're going to go to the conference room. God bless you. 11 o'clock service. We're going to have a great day.